The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey there. Welcome to Nick Pollock and Friends, where I talk to people I know and who you should know. Today's episode is with Chris Towers. You probably know him from CBS's Fancy Baseball Today. All of his fantastic writing there and just being a wonderful member of our community. Chris, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thanks for having me, buddy. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and for a podcast like this where we embrace the tangent, you know, I felt that it would be it's wrong not to have you on this show, you know? Yeah, I, I'm mostly tangents at this <laughs> point. I, I think I'm like 40% water, 50% tangents. There we maybe, go. Maybe 10% Diet Coke. You know, that's and, probably and, the makeup. <laughs> and all I'm thinking now is just like lines that go off of a circle. So that if you're 40% of those, that is who you are and not the cosine and not the sign. I, I do actually, here I am noticing already uh, video stuff that everyone else can't see. You have your bookcase color coordinated. Yeah, yeah, that is. Everyone always comments on that. It's great. Um, it's wonderful. Fast says the same yeah, thing. That's my my wife is very organized. It's it's very much like an odd couple situation because I'm totally scatterbrained and very like ADD and I, I I can't keep anything straight. But I also like she'll she'll organize everything and then I'm like, where is this thing? And then she gets upset when I ask her for where my stuff is all the time. But it's because. I just leave stuff places. And so I know if I left something somewhere, I just need to look in one of the places where I would have left it and I'll probably find it. I never look in the places they're supposed to be because I would never leave something in the place it's supposed (laughs) to be. She is very organized. And so she's done all kinds of different, uh, different organizations over there. We've got, I think color coordinated on, on my bookshelf above me as well. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a, I do like it. Our house is very nice looking, mostly well, because of her. Okay, so it's a, it's a balance because it looks great, but also then if you're trying to find a book, you got to remember what color it was as opposed to alphabetical or by category. Yeah, you know, we, we have uh, a pretty big record collection, about 700 uh, vinyl albums. That does not surprise me knowing you, Chris. Yeah, it, it's pretty on brand. I live in Williamsburg. I love I, it got you know thick frame glasses now so it's really it's all coming together um and those we do have alphabetical we did like a, okay that was one of our first quarantine projects we were like let's take a weekend and alphabetize all our records and then it took like four hours and we're like well crap now we have sunday where we don't have anything to do um and that i go to the albums more often so i want sure. them like in a very but the books you don't really like you're not like pulling a book out 
three times a day. So right. are, it's are, not well, so much of an issue. Okay, that makes sense. Um, are you someone who, uh, when it comes to music like that, when someone plays you a song, they're like, hey, like here, listen to this song. Do you listen to the full album or you just go only for that one song? I try to listen to full albums. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily like I've been bad about it in the last year because I'm not like I'm not walking to work. I'm not like going out. My podcast listening has not been as great. Uh, sure, but yeah. generally speaking, I do like to to listen to a full album. I, I am that kind of person. So, you know, the well, the vinyl is, you know, it's a it's a bit of an affectation. You know, I don't necessarily need them. They're all available on Spotify, but there's like right. half of it is like stuff that my uncle left me and he was like a really weird, like weird version of a stoner hippie who was like really into like folk music and like Joni Mitchell and, and stuff like that, but also like loved disco. And so I've got a bunch of stuff that if it weren't for that, like the physical record, I would never listen to it. So, mm. you know, I, I do like that. Yeah, definitely. There's something about having the tangible sound as well and preserving that art yeah. through all everything. I completely understand. Uh, and and like you go, you're you're very much into music. I love that uh, as a musical person myself. I you know here we are jumping straight into, it, but this is I had to know right away. So I mean, I have so many questions about. It. I guess I'll start with the, the easy one: is within the past year, what album have you listened to that's really impressed you that you would suggest everybody to go and listen to? Um, okay, my favorite album of the past year is probably Saint Cloud by Waxahachie. Who, no um, idea what that is. She is a singer-songwriter who has been... She's kind of done a lot of different types of things. Some of her stuff is like... There's almost like a metal aspect to some of her stuff, but this is like her like alt-country album. It's very like acoustic guitars, and it's really, really good. She's an incredibly talented musician. I can't remember her, her name. Um but Waxahachie is the name of her like band. It's really good. Yeah. All right. It's uh named after Waxahachie Creek in like Alabama or Arkansas or something mm. like that. Um that's probably my favorite album of the last year. There was also um a band called Spanish Love Songs that released an album Brave Faces Everybody if you're into uh emo music. It's Okay. It's very much uh like sad boy self-pitying uh music but it's it's got a heavier sound as well um i've gotten much more into emo music over the last like five years as i've reached my really late 20s to early 30s than i was uh when i was like a teen when you're supposed to listen to that stuff. yeah right yeah that's a typical curve i think Uh, yeah i was like listen i was like i'm too i'm too (laughs) i'm too smart for that like when my sister was listening to like Circa survive and stuff like that. I was like, no, I'm listening to Sufjan Stevens and mm, and like, yeah. And now I love all of it. I, right. I've so definitely- I mean, yeah, your 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 musical taste is certainly eclectic. It's yes. uh, from I, I've 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 monitored the Twitter feed and seen over the years all the <laughs> random albums that I just don't know. And I'm I will admit to being very um, I don't want to say closed minded, but I I certainly have my bubble of music. You like what you which- like. I, I I love I love songs with aggressive guitars and clean vocals and big drums essentially. Okay, that is what I want. Just not just not. You ever listen to my morning jacket? My morning jacket, no. That's you should not. listen to my morning jacket. They're right. uh, 
there you go. Their album, It Still Moves, sounds like it would be very much up your alley. Lots of big drums, lots of heavy guitars, loud guitars. Wonderful. Uh, I mean, I've gone through phases of like, I, I remember when I was like 18 or something like that, uh, I had a playlist that was just cowbell. Any song that had a cowbell sure. with a 60s, 70s riff or, riff or whatever on, I was like, yes, that's what I want. Exactly, yeah. uh, I started with like, oh, guitar riffs, those are great. And then now it's like Devin Townsend, who is just the biggest sounding musician out there and mm-hmm. he's wonderful and my idol. Uh, so, so okay, so that's 2021, 2020 past year. Yeah. But what, what would you say are the albums that have really defined you? They're like, these are my favorite albums of all time. Uh, so I've pretty much got like a set top three that I, I don't know will ever change because they're kind of my formative albums. And so it's Abbey Road by the Beatles, you know, sure. growing up in my house. It's not like we didn't listen to the Beatles. I don't remember like my mom ever sitting down and like, let's listen to Rubber Soul today. It was more like, like they were like oxygen. It was just like yeah, right. always it, around. It was present. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco. That was... uh when I was like 11 or 12, uh, a friend of mine who was a little older gave me their album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And I was at that point only like classic rock and like pop punk music. Okay. And that kind of opened me up to like what else music can be besides like, you know, just verse, chorus, verse, guitars, stuff like right, that. Right. Um, and then London Calling by The Clash, which is just the greatest punk album that doesn't really sound like any other punk album. Uh, it's like 20 different genres over 19 mm. songs. It's just absolutely brilliant. And so I think those are the three that probably there might be better albums made, although I don't know uh, if you could make a better album than Abbey Road or London Calling, but those are the ones that just they'll, they'll kind of just always be there for me. I always I always go back and forth on what the uh, the best Beatles album is. And I think I'm with you that it is Abbey Road. I personally think that something might be the best it's, song ever written. It's uh what one thing I really love and I I know the Beatles too well and I've listened like in college I had a friend who would like play the first 3 seconds of a Beatles song and then like quiz me on it huh, and I pretty sure, much got yeah. all of them right, right even if it was like nothing really there. Um, mm-hmm. and so like something obviously beautiful melody, one of George Harrison's just, it's incredibly simple guitar solo, but it's beautiful. Um, but what I, my favorite thing about that is the bass in it. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's not like this virtuous, virtuistic bass playing. It's not like, like I'm a, I play bass occasionally. I'm more of a guitarist uh, and I'm not good at either, but I can play that sure. one. Yeah. But there's just, it's like the perfect example of how you play to a song. And at the end, the last chorus, or the last, yeah, going into the last chorus, he's playing the, the normal riff and he starts going on like a a tangent. Uh, huh. And it's like in the last 10 seconds of the song, <laughs> he's doing this run up the neck. And you're listening to it and you're like, he's not going to get back in time to like right, right. get to where he needs to be and he just makes and it's like one of my favorite moments in music i think it's just like that album even like there's kind of dumb songs like maxwell silverhammer and octopus's garden but even those are so good yeah. yeah that is i think that's them at their peak in terms of like song craft and songwriting um, it's 
from the very first note of, of something it's it's just so perfect the whole song to me yeah. is um it's it's essentially flirtation i know that sounds really weird to say but the yeah. whole thing is like is the back and forth of a man and a woman and even the solo is essentially the woman like being trying to flirt but not too mm-hmm. into it's this whole once you think of it like that you can just feel the emotion of it ah i normally don't talk yeah. about songs like that specifically but it's so apparent to me and then from the opening tom it's oh and and, and come is together is like that's a song that it could only have been made by accident. Like if you think about the mm. component parts of it, like that drum line, like Ringo's not the greatest drummer technically, right. but that drum line, like you don't just like, you wouldn't think like, Hey, we have this song. I'm going to do this drum line. Sure, and yeah. then the baseline also like those two things don't go together, mm. but they just happen to like both be playing those things at the same time in the studio. And they were like, Oh, that sounds cool. And it's just, it's one of those things that just like, there's just something serendipitous about it. And you can feel that in the music. Absolutely. Uh, But yeah, I go back. So like there's Abbey Road. I love the, um, uh, I can't remember what I, what it's called exactly, but the suite that they have of songs that they could rotate between there, um, which is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, And they even have, uh, um, oh, is it the end? Is it the end? Uh, There's a moment where they all exchange solos in it. Yeah. And uh, I, I read a book here, there, and everywhere. It's a fantastic book. Jeff Emmerich, I don't know if you've read this. I think I've read that. He was the exactly. engineer, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And his perspective going through all this. And it's so great if you're any sort of Beatles fan, then you really yeah. understand the songs and what went into them, the little details, especially yeah. if you're into something massively, you want to hear those little details. And it's incredible. And I remember him talking about uh, they all exchange solos at the end of this. So I, So John is like, Oh, I have the perfect thing to start with. So he, of course, gets to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then jo- George just has to land in the middle because then Paul's like, oh, yeah, I got this part. And George's like, fine, I guess I'll do this in the middle. <laughs> uh, and it's so apparent, each of their styles in it, yeah. too, that John Lennon is not good at soloing on guitar. Yeah. And and George Harrison has the most tasteful little mm-hmm. lick to it. Ugh. And then McCartney's just like, yeah, this is exactly what a solo is supposed to be. you know. And he, I like... Paul's he was like the cute beetle and 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 all that but like he actually played some of their like sort of like most metal guitar solos I don't know oh, if that's yeah. the right term but like oh, the, like Hel- the Keller. Solo. I'm not Helen Keller I'm sorry um, uh, um Jesus uh Helter Skelter Helter Skelter yeah, yeah. oh my lord uh yeah. right that song actually he, he saw a review of a who song yeah and I it was like, the heaviest miles. thing ever and then he heard it was like that's not that heavy so then he created Helter Skelter <laughs> And I mean, that was, that is metal. That song is yeah. complete metal. Oh my God. Yeah. If Paul understood it. Um, I mean, I think to, to me, I know everyone says like, oh, John Lennon. Oh, he's a creative one. He's a real interesting one there, but it doesn't exist without Paul. Paul is the absolute glue to everything. The true musician, I think of the entire crew. And I don't know. Part of it was just, he, I mean, the guy's still playing, like the guy's still touring. He doesn't need right. to. He's almost 80 years old now. Uh, he doesn't need to be touring, but he's still touring and he's still putting out records. And it, it's he's got that like insatiable drive. Like he can't not be making music. He can't not be in front of people. And, you know, I think there's there's something a little unhealthy about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, Paul, take a break. You're 78 years old. You're a billionaire. Right, right. You could just yeah. like not you don't have to play because like, he still plays like two and a half hour shows, too. He's still doing like 30 songs a night. Right, right. Um, right. 
And, but, you know, I think that was a big part of why they put out, you know, eight records in seven years. And then I think fairly combusted. <laughs> I think there, there was no way to sustain what they were doing, but yeah, I mean, he, he did a lot of, you know, pappy schmaltz stuff. You know, there, there's, there are probably more bad Paul McCartney songs than honestly, maybe sure. like any other artist ever. Ha! <laughs> because he just put, he's out, put out, so out so much. Yeah, um, right. I mean, every every artist will tell you that there's a lot more bad than there is the good. It's just about yeah. churning, figuring out how to get that one good thing and going through ten bad things to get there. Yeah, and and his he'll get criticized a lot for like essentially just like trying to do things that other people have already done. People will say like there, there's a lot of examples of him like. I think successfully during the Beatles period and then, you know, less so in the like eighties when he tried to do some like dance music and stuff like that. But, um, you know, like you said with Helter Skelter, where he, he read this review of I can see for miles and was like, well, I want to do something better than that. Or, you know, famously when he heard pet sounds for the first time by the beach boys, that was kind of like, okay, now we have to like make our studio masterpiece and that's what led right, to yeah. Sergeant Peppers. And so, you know, I think that, uh, he had an innate competitiveness that, um, that always led to at least interesting attempts, if not great music all the time. Although during the Beatles period, pretty much all of it was great. Yeah. Oh man. So, so good. Um, all right. So, so moving away from, from music for a moment, I do want to get into you personally now. Sure. Uh, so let's talk about the beginnings of Chris Towers. Uh, where did you grow up? And talk to us about what you thought you would be doing uh, when you were a kid. So um, grew up in South Florida. I was born in Hialeah. Uh, lived in South Florida, actually, for the first 30, 31 years of my life. Uh, just moved to New York a year and a half ago. Um, and I basically lived in all different parts of South Florida, Miami, Broward, all kinds of it, but generally there. Um, and I remember I actually wrote uh, a college admissions essay. Uh, I only applied to two colleges. I was a very bad student in high school. Um, and uh, I got into one. The one I did not get into, my admissions essay, uh, I wrote about how when I was five years old, my dream jobs growing up would have been to either be the guitarist in Eric Clapton's band mm. or a dinosaur. <laughs> um, those were my two dream jobs. That's, as there's, there's an old joke as in my family that my sister wants to grow up to be a doctor or a carrot. So yeah, there it is. Oh, yeah, that, that. that was. And so, um, <laughs> you know, not, not as much into Eric Clapton anymore. That dream was always, uh, you know, a little unrealistic. Couldn't sure. figure out how to become a dinosaur. So, um, was there a specific dinosaur you had in mind? Any of them, really. They're all so cool. <laughs> you know, like, um, I mean, like a Stegosaurus would be cool because mm. they, they seem pretty chill. Like nobody's really messing with them. They got spikes all over the place. Sure, um, yeah. But, you know, you'd love to be one of those like super athletic ones that are like jumping right. around everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm kind of thinking of this. Obviously, I'm removed from the, I don't know, the five, six-year-old perspective now. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have kids or anything like that. So I, I do wonder if us growing up, we were more exposed to dinosaurs than now. Because like we had Jurassic Park. There was like yeah. time. There was a show dinosaurs. It was all like dinosaurs are the coolest things ever. Yeah. There doesn't and I, I wonder if they're going to the wayside a little bit. 
It's 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 a travesty. You would hope not. I mean, I, I'm I'm looking for my my niece is uh, coming to stay with us. She's six years old, and this is the first time she's going to like stay just with us. Her her mom's going to be here for a weekend, but we're going to have her for a full week. I'm really excited to take her to all the museums in New York. And she actually, we were we were talking to her and telling her like, oh, we can go to the museum and the zoo and all. And she was like, we don't actually have to do all that, which I, I loved. Like that that is. Mm so lovely that she was like actually that sounds like a lot can we just like chill um but i'm really excited to take her to the american history um american museum of natural history and yes we went when she was like four but i want to see like how she reacts to the giant blue whale and all the dinosaur stuff the dinosaurs are were always my favorite as a kid like we used to go to uh the carnegie museum in pittsburgh which actually has one of the, I think it's like one of the most complete original, like a, f- like not plaster casted T Rex statue or uh, models mm-hmm. in the world, and like I used to spend hours in that area of the museum just like looking at the dinosaurs. They're just they're so impossibly cool. <laughs> I mean, it's just this marvel of existence, right? Like, how did we? It, it's it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. I mean, imagine if actually like this thing existed now. It wouldn't be cool. It would be it would an be absolute terrifying. nightmare. <laughs> and, ter- and like our, our you know, humanity would just be living in constant fear. I mean, not to say we aren't, but you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, it's But now that we're just looking back, we just think they're just so cool because of, I don't know, it's such a unfathomable thing. Yeah, right? it's it's weird to think about like, Okay, like the giraffe is the giraffe and elephants and rhinoceroses are massive. Yeah. But then you think back, like <clears throat> there were uh, one of my favorite examples is there was a sloth that lived in North America until like, I think like not that like 20,000 years ago or something that was like 12 feet tall that like could look into the, the, the example I've always heard. Uh, from a book called A Short History of Nearly Everything by Bo Bryce. Oh, yeah, of course. One of my favorite books. Listen yeah. to the audiobook if you ever get the chance because it's just mm. narrated by this delightful British guy. And it's <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, that sounds wonderful. And uh, the example he uses is there was a slot that lived in the Americas that could look into the window of a second story building. And like, you can't even like, wow, fathom that. There's yeah. just like nothing that is that big now. And it's, it's it's fascinating to just think back to a time when that was around obviously that we weren't around and then, and then you know think back to the times when there were like foot long dragonflies and that's a, a little more terrifying oh my god i no no without i mean you mentioning a sloth looking into a second floor apartment building i'm just thinking to myself well this thing isn't going to move for a while it's a sloth right it's so that, not that's only not is it scary. showing up and not only is it not showing up it's not going away now that one's not scary because it's probably not going to hurt you, but it would be like sure. oh, a little be, irritating. Oh my, it would be absolutely. Like he's just um, looking in your window for creepy. like two hours. Yeah, just, and just unnerving, <laughs> disturbing, right? Oh man. Um. So anyway, so okay. So you're you're a kid. You're like, I want to be a dinosaur, or you want to be a guitarist in Air Club. Yeah. Band. And you wrote about this uh, for your college essay. Yeah, I did not get into that college. <laughs> that did not work. I mean, was that the entirety of the story? It was just like, oh yeah, well, I wanted to be it, those things, and I was applying for to UCF uh, for their journalism program, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was about how I transitioned from that into wanting to be a writer. Uh, okay, 
And that was, I mean, honestly, probably around fifth grade was really when I started to love writing. I, I actually, I've got two tattoos. One of them on my right arm is Calvin and Hobbes. On my left arm is the Phantom Tollbooth. And I distinctly oh, yeah. remember reading the Phantom Tollbooth in like fourth grade. And that was really like, I didn't know you could do that with words. Mm. You know, all the the wordplay in that and, and everything like the the island of conclusions that you jump to and just like really fun stuff like that. That was kind of like, Oh, I, you can actually like do that with words. And so I think like that was probably when I first fell in love with reading and writing. And, um, yeah, I I think I've kind of been on the path ever since then with plenty of detours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, So, Um, so you went to, so you didn't go to UCF then? No. Where did you Not go? Florida International University, which is, um, it's the real University of Miami. There we that's go. what I like to that, say. That's university, what I was for. Yeah, University of Miami is in, I don't know if you're familiar with Miami at all, any of the neighborhoods, but University of Miami is in a place called Coral Gables, which is like manicured fences and mm. like very, very pretty looking, very well planned. They've got like, their street signs are little like stones on the ground that are painted and they like go over them every couple of months to make sure they look pretty. And like, sure. Yeah. They have ordinances that you can't park a pickup truck in front of your house, like ridiculous stuff like that. Um, and it's very much not Miami. Coral Gables is nice, but like Miami is a big sprawling mess where nothing makes sense. Everything is chaotic. You need like, okay, we need a building. Well, there's a space there. So we'll just put it there. And like, does that work with traffic pattern? Doesn't matter. Right. Uh, And so university of Miami is very much like a more like a classic college campus. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like there's a center and you know, everything kind of makes sense. And that's not Miami. FIU is kind of a disaster. (laughs) They, uh, and I love it. Like I, it, but it's like a 50,000 student school. Um, it's the largest public university in Florida, south of Orlando. I think it's the third or fourth biggest um, commuter school. And they've just kind of kept building as the school's grown. And so like originally there was a plan. All the, the first like five buildings are all like, the first one is Primera Casa. And the second one is or something. And so it's, it's numbered, you know, in different languages, one, two, three, four, five. And then after that, it's sure. just like, there's the science building because we need a science building and it fits right. there. Or like we need a new student center. So we're just going to build it on this parking lot, even though there's not enough parking. And it's there. It's very Miami. And I feel a very strong connection to it because of it. like Miami gets a bad rap, I think nationally. And, you know, maybe not undeservedly. Miami's a weird place, but it's my weird place. Yeah. There you know, you and so like if anybody's going to crap on my city or my university, it's going to be me. Yep. Damn it. <laughs> there you so, go. Uh, yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> I went to FIU because they had lowish standards for admissions at the time. Uh, I, I had good SAT scores, really bad grades. I was a bad student. Um, but FIU let me in. They, I went to like an on-campus admissions and I was talking to the advisor and she asked me what my SAT score was. And I was, I told her and she was like, okay, you're probably going to get it. Um, 
So that was why I went there. And I was in the journalism program, uh, similar to why I went to FIU. I dropped out of the journalism program because they had a GPA requirement mm. and the history program did not. Right. So uh, made that transition, but um, you know, kept writing, working at the student newspaper. So you know, that, that kind of led me on that path. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's important to hear that. Um, I think, I think these days I, I've, I've mentioned on this before that the, I'm, I'm not saying in any way that getting education is a, is a negative or anything close to that, mm-hmm. but the options for alternative uh, development or, uh, yeah. you know, a journey for yourself towards a career is way different than it used to be. Uh, and there are a lot more opportunities to learn the skills that you need and ways for you to apply yourself to showcase what you're capable of. You know, the requirements of a bachelor's degree or master's, all that kind of stuff, um, for, for a lot of fields, it, you know, you, you'll talk to a lot of people and say, no, can they do the work and do I trust them to do the work? Yeah. And there, I mean, I'm not saying for every job, there's so many, I'm sure many corporate jobs, like we need to have that checkbox ticked. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, there, there are so much, there's so much more opportunity for, you know, if you are able to apply yourself and showcase that, I mean, they're able to do it and also have some sense of social tact. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The like that, there's, yeah. um, you know, the, there's the learning, the theory, which right. is obviously important. Like in journalism, you need to have like a, or, or any writing really, you have to have like a, you don't have to, but it, it helps to have like that baseline level of like. You know, if you want to be a reporter, learning ethics is really important because a lot sure, of the yeah. things that go into journalism aren't necessarily don't necessarily make sense with the way we typically view like ethics. And I think that's a big part of why a lot of people don't like journalists, because there's a there's a journalistic ethics standard that doesn't necessarily make sense to a lot of people who don't have experience with that. Um, and then there's the practical experience and that was you know i was at the student newspaper at fiu for four years and when i was manager i was like production manager which was basically like making sure the product got out you know like running the day-to-day like making sure that you know we published three times a week making sure that every day we were meeting deadlines and, and all that stuff um and you know finalizing production and and design and all that stuff and that's not an easy job by the way that's uh that takes a lot of effort oh that was basically a full-time job i mean we were getting paid like i think it was like ten dollars an hour for 24 hours a week but i was in there 40 hours a week right yeah um and the management team the like leadership team at the student newspaper at fiu at the time was me, a history major, editor-in-chief was a, I think, international relations or poli-sci. The news editor was poli-sci. Sports editor was, sports editor might have been journalism, actually. Um, but it, it, very few of the people who worked there were actual journalism majors. And it never made sense to me, like, if you're going to the journalism school, why aren't you, like, working with the paper where you can like a lot of the, a lot of the journalism majors like kind of look down on it Mm. and it was like, yeah, I mean, we mess up sometimes. It's not like, you know, not a, it's not like everyone's reading it. Um, but there's also a lot of value in having that in having 
a a structure and an organization where you can learn and talk to people and get better and and also have the the ability to screw up in low pressure situations where you can learn from it and that's yeah absolutely you know learning from your mistakes is one of the the best ways to learn i think and and in terms of when you're looking for like actual practical experience and trying to get better at something you have to know what to do right but you also have to lo- know you know when your instincts are wrong or when you know you have to put in the extra work and that that's i think one of the most important things about my time at the student newspaper was just getting that opportunity to i mean i took video photos i did radio i reported i wrote weekly columns on music sports um i was a designer i was an editor like i did all these different things and i got all this practical experience that um one you can't necessarily get in a classroom you know you'd have these like journalism classes where like a features writing journalism class where you'd write you know five features over the course of a semester you'd have this big final where it was you know a you know 40 inch column or whatever on a specific topic and that's great but you know we were doing stuff like that three times a week for for the whole year and so not to disparage journalism school at all um, but it's just to say that like if someone in college or high school were to ask me like i want to be a writer how should i go about it i would say join your student newspaper and get get those reps really i think that's the yeah. biggest thing it's yeah, like really yeah it's like in baseball you have to see live pitching you know right. you can only you can only gain so much from going to a batting cage at some point you got to get live reps against live pitching and it's the same way you have to have that there has to be a, the pressure to meet deadlines and, and put something in front of people, but also knowing that, you know, if you mess up, it's not like the first time that you're working on a deadline and the first time that you're writing for a significant audience should not be for the Miami Herald, you know? Right, um, no, exactly. Uh, like, this is a, I love that you're saying about like, um, you got to get live pitching, uh, I'm, I'm sure you know Fernando Perez, who's amazing. I love, mm-hmm. I love him so much. He will tell you all the time about like how hitters don't benefit at all from those batting cage reps and BP. It's yeah. about live pitching. That's the only thing that matters. And it's it's such an important point of his. And it's exactly right. Exactly what you're saying. You have to, with every success, there's a lot more failure. Yeah. Uh, and you have to put in those reps. You have to get that experience. You have to throw yourself into the fire and figure it out. Uh, it's not fun. It's a lot of us are inherently risk adverse and it's it's difficult. But right, you gotta just do it. Just go try it and fail. Yeah. And be in some ways excited to fail, you know, because then you won't fail later on, you know. And you it sounds like you had a great great time uh to, to I, quote, I, I college. To uh, quote Master to Yoda stuff. To quote Master Yoda, the greatest teacher failure is. Mm-hmm. That is one of I know The Last Jedi is controversial. I don't it's, know if anybody wants to get good. into it. It's not it's, good, Chris. It's really good. Don't do uh, this. It's the third it's, best Star Wars movie. It. Oh, my. Um, I, I Ben Palmer warned me about this. It makes me It I, makes me emotional and weepy every time. The Luke Yoda scene especially is like a it's gift. It's a terrible you, film. Look, for whatever, for whatever else, if you don't like the movie, if for no other reason than the existence of the Yoda and Luke scene at the Jedi Temple... I'm glad that movie exists. That scene uh, okay. is. Just I'm not a gonna. Gift. I'm not gonna say that, but it's just. 
that's just so many things wrong. But either one day, one day we're going to do a podcast just about this. That's just because I'll rewatch it and take my notes. I remember actually being on a phone call and literally I think I I didn't let them get a word in for 45 minutes (laughs) as I just did one rant about every single aspect of how that movie failed. It it, it is, you know, so many ways. Agree to disagree. Uh, There have been maybe two films in my life. Uh, really, it's just this one that I uh, the uh, the credits rolled and my head is in my hands. It's not even the worst Star Wars movie of the last five years. What is that? Rise of Skywalker? So much worse. Rise of Skywalker is not even a movie. That was a movie where they tried because because Rian Johnson messed up this movie so much. But e- right, they tried, even, even if they you tried believe to sum everything but together, even and if throw you believe that, together. even they, if you believe that that Last Jedi failed, even granting that. Making the third movie of a trilogy where you're walking back everything from the previous movie, you're not, it's impossible to make a good movie. Like, you gotta roll with what you've got. This is the, no, no, you don't. Yes, you do. Like, they had nothing to to work with. Either, but even that one. Even so, like, you have to, you have to roll with what you've got and make the best thing that you can with what you've been given. Regardless that's of if you what, agree that's what with they tried the to do. That, uh, that's, that's what I think they tried to do. They tried <sighs> no, as best they as they tried could to, to do no, that. They, and, they they, made, and they made a movie that I will say is better than Last Jedi because so much happens in that movie and it's incredibly nah. exciting on the action and things going on train. It's, 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 the, it's like the Cliff Notes version of a movie. <laughs> like it's like sure. they made That's they made fun. a tr- yeah. they tried to make a trilogy in two hours and so they yeah. were like somehow Palpatine came back <laughs> moving on oh I know it's terrible or, but it's here's horrible the but oh, the biggest Jedi sin the biggest waste. sin of the sequel trilogies oh no is nothing in the last Jedi it is uh oh Ray killed Chewbacca uh oh Chewbacca's dead no he's not. Uh-oh, C-3PO, he's racing his memory. This is a big, important scene. No, he's not. He's got his memories fine. It's like there yeah. were like four different fake deaths in that movie. It was the most cowardly display of filmmaking I've ever seen in my life. It was like... I mean, yeah, then you had the Mary Poppins moment of uh, Princess Leia flying through the that's air fine. and but surviving. At least, that's fine. That's one. No, it's not fine. That's it's not one. fine, Chris. That's one. <laughs> I'm saying like Rise of Skywalker, uh. like... Uh oh, Kylo right, Ren's dead. I, I'm not going to say to you that Rise of Skywalker is a great film. I'm not going to tell you that. It's not. Even I'm just movie. surprised that you're going to say that that is terrible. And then Last Jedi is the third best Star Wars film. I mean, look. It's I mean, fourth, that's it's fourth if you count the last four episodes of the Clone Wars as a movie. Oh, that's fair. I Which mean, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, but man, it's just. Well, I want to, I literally, I, I want to do this justice, like, and properly <laughs> force myself to watch that movie again, just so we can actually have this debacle of a debate. Uh, I, I can't. There's I mean, a, I will suggest there's an essay by, uh, it's kind of funny, but a writer named Film Crit Hulk, who started okay. out as like a, a bit account where he would type in all caps of film criticisms in the character of the Hulk and has since like actually had proper criticisms that now and, and has for what he yeah, yeah. since become like an actual, like really good film critic. And he's right. written, I mean, it's like 10,000 words, so it's a lot. Um, 
but he wrote a like defense of the last Jedi that I think is oh, very no. good. I would no. suggest just no. giving it a chance, reading it. Um, it no, I, I don't. I, no. But that's no. fine. That's fine. No. We don't that's, have. To. It's okay. Okay, so Chris. Um, All right, it's good talking you go, to you. Else. <laughs> you go from my uh, from from journalism school. And somehow it leads you to being a, a, a force inside of CBS Sports here. Uh, how, how Work with us and, and, and tell us the steps on this journey. Um, so, yeah, I was, you know, it, it's I came to this realization a couple months ago. Actually, there, there was the whole talk about like, should you do unpaid internships? And a lot of people are like, yes, you you should. And, you know, they're very valuable. They help me get where I am. And, you know, that's that's fair. I think if you can do an unpaid internship, it will probably help your career. But there's this like, you know, I worked hard and I earned what I got and all this stuff. And like, yeah, that's true for nearly everyone in any industry who succeeds. Everyone like for the most part works hard. There are some examples of people who are just failing upwards and, you know, maybe you listen to some of my Twitter mentions. Maybe I'm an example of that either way. Um, ha, I don't think anyone reasonably <laughs> would say that, Chris. Stop Something that, that I, I thought about recently was um, I was going to become a teacher. I was about to finish an education minor uh, along with my history major, and I was going to start applying for uh, teaching jobs after the 2011 school year. And then this was when I was the managing editor at the newspaper. We got a, an email from the sports director at the Miami Herald or the assistant sports editor at the Miami Herald saying that they were looking for an, uh, a designer. And this was solely because um, this was when LeBron James signed with the Miami heat and wow. their heat coverage was much bigger. And so the, wait a second, wait a second. Are you telling me that because LeBron signed with pretty Miami, much. Yeah. you are where you are now? That's, that's pretty like, that's obviously it's just one deviation, I, I, but like that's, if LeBron had chosen to sign with the New York Knicks, the Miami Herald would have been doing eight page sports sections as the heat were, you know, making like a one round playoff run and then getting bounced. Right. And instead we were doing, because it was LeBron and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, and it was the biggest story in sports we were doing during the playoffs, 32 page sections for sports, like just massive sports sections. We had like eight people writing stories about each game. And so they needed extra people. And that was basically why I had the opportunity to get hired at the Herald. Um, And so that, you know, even there, I was still like, well, once this is over, like this is the newspaper industry in 2011. This is not, uh, this is not necessarily what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Sure. Um, And then they were also at one point looking for someone to help out with their online editing. So I took that, um, and then I saw a posting at a contracting company for a writer at CBS Sports. Um, they didn't, I don't think they even specified that it was for fantasy. It was just writer, you know, these are the qualifications. I applied um, and it was for the fantasy section. I've been playing at CBS Sports since 2001. I knew all mm-hmm. about like how everything operated. This was for the uh, player news blurbs. We used to write those in-house. Now we've, you know, contract them out from somewhere, but sure. They were looking for someone. You were playing on the CBS fantasy baseball platform. Yeah. Fantasy baseball and fantasy football since like 2001 on CBS. So So I was familiar with everything they did. 
I'm not going to say anything because you work for CBS. Please okay. continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm no, it's okay. Me. Look, everybody's got their favorite. I'm, I'm completely kidding, guys. Please. If you're if you're more comfortable <laughs> with one versus the other, I think that's the the most important thing. I'm, um, I'm just ragging you. Okay, so you <laughs> so here you are. You actually got to. Were you doing the blurbs first, or are you actually just doing full on? Just articles? the blurbs. Okay, just the blurbs at first, and. Um, you know, one of the other one of the other things that I that I did was they needed. It was actually funny. There, the the basketball writer for CBS Fantasy in 2011 got moved into another role at CBS Sports, and they hired a guy who was a page designer at the Miami Herald to work in their player news blurb uh, space. I replaced him at the Miami Herald. Right. Um, and then once uh, once I got hired at CBS, I was they were like, hey, do you know anything about basketball? Do you want to write about fantasy basketball? And I was like, yeah, I play fantasy basketball. Sure. Um, and so that was how I got my first opportunity to write, in addition to the player news blurbs, which we were doing like 50 to 100 of them per day. I was also writing like, you know, a basketball article every day or three or four a week. And so that was my first opportunity to branch out. And then um, I did that for like three years and that was super helpful. The, the player news stuff. I mean, that was uh, writing 50 to a hundred, like 50 to a hundred word updates every single day. So you're talking upwards of, you know, 5,000, 5,000 words, most nights, you know, beyond that. I, I respect times. this immensely. I mean, this is what I do, right? I mean, the SP roundup every single day yeah. um, of the baseball season is, you know, 2,500 words on 30 guys. So yeah. I, under, I know that grind. That's not who oh, 50 to a hundred of these. You gotta be kidding. Yeah. I mean, it was like, if a guy was out of the lineup, write a quick piece on him. Right. Guy got a, every starting pitcher got a blurb, every big hitting performance, every injury, every save, all that stuff. And so one, it was just really valuable to like have to work in that condensed timeline and push this yeah. stuff out constantly. You couldn't oh like take God. your time with it. Um, and, and you know, this with the writing is like, sometimes you really don't want to write. I mean, you no. physically, your body is just like, yeah. please do not type another letter. Yeah. I, I had a, I don't know, like three or four weeks ago, I was just like in a rut and I just could not write anything. And I'm usually, I usually don't have that problem. I'm usually very efficient. So it was really frustrating for me. And I had to like, I kind of went on Twitter and like kind of crowdsourced like, hey, writers, when you're struggling, what are some tips that you have? And then I made a little like post-it note on my desk at my computer of just some of the tips. And the first one was just like, just do the thing. Because you can always come up with an excuse for why you can't write. But, yeah. you know, if it's your job, especially, but if it's just something you want to do, you have to just do it. And even if it's not good, um, you know, yeah, that, there, there's value in having done the thing. You know, that's a, it's really good that you just said that because it made me realize, wait, a lot of the times I don't want to do it is like anxiety of I don't know exactly what it is. And there's a fear of, I don't really like the thing. But when in those moments, if you accept that this is going to be bad and that's okay, that can be a massive hurdle 
that your emotions then will clear up and allow you to do the thing. I think that's actually a really good thing. I'm going to I'm going to remember that one person for myself like Nick, this can be terrible. It's okay and then watch it won't be so terrible at all, especially when you start writing and like 30 seconds in it just then it once you go past that gate it's much much easier. Something I also find that really helps me in that in those situations is um just kind of don't worry about the intro because that that's always one of the hardest things to oh, write yeah. is like, oh, I have to come up with a good lead. And especially like if you're writing for a website, I've got to like hit these SEO terms, but still make it, you know, readable and, and all this yeah. stuff. And I'll just leave that for the end. Yeah. Because that write way what you I know what write. I'm introducing. Exactly. Write exactly what you know you can write. Like, you know what you have to do. Just write that part and then everything yeah. else will fill in. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I made the the mistake of doing the opposite of that. Uh, I, I I write in a kind of chaotic way. Um, like I said, I'm not particularly organized. And so <laughs> I just have a one document in Google Sheets called Random that is currently six pages long of just stuff that I've been writing. Okay. Or stuff that I've like done a little bit of or and that's where I do all of my writing. And so every time I write a new piece, it's just at the top of that. Mm. Um, so, so what's an example of something inside of this that you'd be willing to share, like a, a sentence or a thought or some, some hint of what is random and in, into this chaotic writing? So right now I've got, uh, we write a nightly waiver wire column, just kind of highlighting the biggest performance of the previous night for players sure. who are available. Uh, so that's at the top last night. So I didn't delete it after I wrote it. So wrote about Mike Trout's injury and just the the various players who are on IL right now. Um, there is a roughly 1,200 words of a story that I'm probably never going to finish about. <laughs> um, I started writing about the, the new ball and how uh, there was a story from... I can't remember who wrote it. It was on Fangrass, and it was basically talking about like the specific types of batted balls that have been more likely to turn to outs than home runs because of the new ball. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started writing this whole thing about that, explaining it, explaining what's behind the ball and why it's moving less and, and all this stuff. And then, you know, quoting that, that Fangrass piece. And then I started looking for players who have hit the most batted balls in that bucket. It was like, 20 to 29 degrees of launch angle between 95 and 104 miles per hour or something like that. Sure, yeah. And I, I wrote it all up and said, well, maybe we can find, like, you know, if players are struggling, maybe we can find something here. And then I wrote all that up and then actually started doing the research, looking for those players and realized that, like, at the time we were talking about, like, 10, like, Kyle Seeger had the most in that bucket. It was 10 over the course of the first six weeks of the season. It was like, oh, there's not really anything there. That doesn't really explain anything. The yeah, sample no. size is way too small. And so right. I have that still in there. It's about 1,200 words. It's just staring at me and I'm never well, going to delete it. Well, maybe after three months or so, there might be a bigger enough yeah, sample I, for you yeah, to do something. It, it's yeah. something I can go back to later on. And then below that, I've got uh, the biggest questions for every team in the NFL which is a series that I've been doing for the fantasy football today newsletter, which I write a couple times a week still. And, um, that's about halfway done. Uh, then I've got a mailbag for football, 
There that has been in there for about two months. Okay. So I, I was I was hoping maybe there would be some random paragraph that you just thought was just a well-written thing that doesn't belong to an article, doesn't belong <laughs> to some story. It's just one day you're like, this is what I want to write. I feel like this would be a fun paragraph somewhere at some point. I should do it. that more. Right? I, I, Because I, I, what I'll often do is I'll just like sit awake at night and like start thinking of things to write. And I've got a couple of things in my notepad on my phone that I've just okay. like done. Um, but yeah, I should do that more. Like w- one thing I, w- I would do a lot when we were driving, when we lived in South Florida is like, I would be driving and I would think of something and I'd be like, grab my wife and say, Hey, can you open up my email app and send me an email with these words? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and it would just be like four <laughs> random thoughts. Um, <laughs> is that the words for random thoughts? Yeah, just yeah, four yeah, random yeah, thoughts. Yeah, yeah, that is, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, that's actually another, like, writing tip is, like, when you have an idea, make sure you don't lose it, whether it's recording it or writing it down or sending yourself an email. Um, don't let those opportunities go to waste. Oh, yeah. When, I you, mean, there's, when something uh, comes up, yeah. I mean, that's, like, the same thing in music. Um, I've certainly done this, mm-hmm. even though, of course, I am not going to be a professional musician whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, I have, you know, recorded myself humming or recording mm-hmm. little things I come up with. There's actually the famous song, uh, a round ball rock, uh, yeah. that is the NBA and NBC, which is literally the composer coming up with it and calling himself yep. on the voice machine. Have you seen, you've seen the video? It. I've seen the video of him performing a live and showing the, the, yeah. the, the voicemail that he left himself. It's incredible. Cause he's it's like amazing exactly imaginary right. he's like bouncing an imaginary ball while the song is playing yeah. it, it's uh john tesh i think is the name of the yeah, guy yeah that's exactly right um and, and uh, of it's, it's a, fantastic there's also an snl skit about it um which is also absolutely hilarious but yeah I've i mean those kind of things one. creativity is in bursts yes. yeah that, that's and you have to take advantage of it and seize it uh when that moment arises so uh, let's go back to you're you're at CBS now. You're doing these blurbs, and who was the person that really took you in uh, under their wing when you first arrived? Uh, that would be my my former boss. He was my he was the assistant editor of the CBS fantasy section, Jeff Tobin. Um, who, you know, him and I just have a lot of co- a lot in common. We have similar taste in music. He was a history major uh, in college as well, um, and so like half of my interview was just like us talking about music kind of uh, music and history. So, you know, we really hit it off and he was a super important part of my career development. He really believed in me. He gave me a lot of opportunities. Um, You know, when, when we stopped doing the player news in house, we kind of broke up the fantasy team and, you know, like half of them, half of us got moved into other portions of the editorial group. Um, like as assistant editors or writers. And then, you know, half of us were just moved over specifically to do fantasy analysis. Um, sure. And I was part of the group that got moved over into doing analysis. Um, By the way, I just had to make a very quick edit because Chris here was getting notifications from his discord. And I feel like this is an important tangent we got to talk about. <laughs> I love that, that Chris is, uh, is using discord. It's great. Obviously I mentioned the picture list one, uh, but it's something that uh, I was really lucky to stumble into. 2018, I think it was. Maybe it was, no, 17. Uh, when we're starting QB list. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially what happened, we're like, staff writers like, hey, Nick, we want to do football. We want to write about football. And I said, why? <laughs> and then they said, no, really, we want to do football. And I was like, all right, fine. So we found some people. 
And one of them was like, hey, you guys are only using Facebook Messenger because it was like 10 people or so or 10 yeah. to 15 with, uh, uh, with picture list. And he's like, well, I'll just start a Slack for this. And I was like, yeah. what, Slack? And that was amazing. That was opened everything and more communication. We became yeah. more of a community. And then uh, in 2018, we were using Slack. And we, uh, I, you know, I had this idea of pasting in my kitchen that, oh, wait, we can make it a Patreon thing. Yeah. If you join our Slack and you actually hang out with us, and that's a cool thing. Um, but Slack deletes messages. Slack, yeah. if you don't pay for it, after 10,000 yeah. messages sent, they start, they, you know, you don't keep them. And that stinks when you have a lot of people sending messages yeah. like we do all the time. So then we found Discord, which at the time was kind of just starting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I, I cannot emphasize enough. Everyone in this space should have this. There is no better way to communicate with it. Things do not get deleted. Yep. It's becoming a lot more of a commonality. Yeah, the fact that you have a Discord with your friends playing uh, I think you're saying Warzone. Call and, of Duty, yeah, Warzone. Yeah. There we go. And you have a friend that streams, you want to support him and stuff. And like that's you know, that's the reality now. Discord is everything. So if you're hesitant to jump in, you don't really know what it is, it's free. One hundred percent try it. Uh it's just an amazingly powerful messaging uh app. It's it's a glorified AOL chat room. Yeah. Voice chats in there too. It's it's great. And Chris is, I'm really happy you turned off your notifications so you won't get distracted. I, I did just mute them. Yeah. yeah it wasn't like so much. <laughs> I was just, I was just looking for them. That was the biggest thing is I was just like, where is this coming from? It wasn't Slack. It wasn't Gchat. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I, I got it now. They're, they're muted. Good. I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm very, very proud of you. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, well, I, I'll extend an invite to you, Chris, to, to come check out Let's do RPL it. plus the discard. Cause I mean, I know I, I've advertised it so many times, and it's not just for the sake of plugging this thing. I, seriously, I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Of all the things that we've created with PictureList existing, mm-hmm. my favorite thing is that Discord. That that community that we've yeah. just created now out of thin air and all are centralized in that one place. It's just It makes me so happy. That's really uh, cool. And it's all unified. It's a sanctuary for baseball when we talk about the right way and all that kind of stuff. So. Nice. Come on by. It's fun. Very intimidating, but just jump in. The water I mean, look, is I, lovely. You've seen how I tweet. Uh, oh, yeah. My, my mind is going 100 miles an hour at all times. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing and a bad thing sometimes. Um, well, well, here's the thing, Chris. What I didn't mention was that our off-topic channels are just as large as the baseball stuff. Good. So we've got TV, music, movies, Video games, board games, D and D, pets, food, pets. Love pets. Uh, the pets one is uh, top five channels. For oh me. yeah, we're yeah, gonna we put have out an a, article of top five channels in the Discord. <laughs> we have um, a uh, a Slack channel for for CBS Interactive. The whole sure. company doesn't uh, get deleted CBS because now. Viacom can spend the ten dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we got we got the premium. You know, we're good. Yeah. Um, and it's there's one cats of Viacom CBS, one dogs of Viacom CBS, and it's absolutely delightful. Just like hundreds of dog and cat pictures every yep. day. Um, it's the best. And I'm always here for anything like that. Any anytime I can post pictures of my pets, I love it. Anytime I can see pictures of other people's pets, I also love that. So you you have I think you have two cats, two cats right? and a dog. 
Yeah. Two cats and a dog. Okay. Wonderful. I mean, yeah, I haven't been um, I don't know, ambushed by any of them here, but I remember actually before you had the windowsill on the sides. I can't actually see that here. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's uh no, it's I've got be. one cat sleeping right on my left, and luckily mm-hmm. what usually happens, she's the better one for this. Uh, I don't know if if I can I might <laughs> be able to like I think you can just oh, yeah, oh, make yeah. her out Absolutely. There. Yes. Sorry. Um, this is all audio, but you know, it's a lo- <laughs> Chris has a lovely cat. That's what I'm um, gorgeous. And she is the uh, she's the older one and she's a little the younger one. Uh, we've had her for almost four years now and she still treats us as if we're about to like like at any moment we might turn on her. Right. And so she's very skittish still. She's very lovely. Like she's a very affectionate cat. Um, and she's especially affectionate as soon as I turn my camera on to do a podcast. I She's not in the room right now. And I have right. to kick her out because otherwise she just wants to rub her face against the microphone or she just sits next to me, like meowing at me until I pet her. I gesticulate a lot when I talk. And so she'll just grab my hand if it gets too close to her. And it's, it's a whole thing. It's very annoying. She's very well known on the fantasy baseball today hmm. streams. Um, of course that's, that's David Bowie. Liz lemon is more, uh, oh my she's God. just sleeping. Is that right. Bowie and Liz Bowie, Bowie oh, and Bowie, Le- Bowie and lemon. Our, yeah. our oh dog God. is Stevie Nicks. Of course. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, we have a female cat named David Bowie and a boy dog named Stevie Nicks. And of course, I think you know, like you know, fast tattoo. You must. Of Which one? Bowie. Does he have the like the lightning bolt one? Yes. Yeah. Okay, it, it, is, it is a tattoo. Oh, that's awesome. you have to ask him about that. It's I've never seen it. No, oh that's um, I recently I've recently started getting into tattoos. I got my first one in October and oh, everyone the, says the Hobbs or uh, yeah, the Calvin yeah, and Hobbs okay. one. And the, everyone says like, oh, once you get your first one, you'll want to get a lot more and it's totally true. I've I've totally <laughs> just like all I want to do is get uh is get more tattoos now. Interesting. I'm I'm know that I'm never gonna get a tattoo. It's just that's how my not, wife is. It's, it's just not for me. And it's it's you know there are so many things that are oh yeah I recognize why people enjoy those things you know and it's not it's not me looking down on it as many yeah. people can assume it's something like that it's just oh yeah. Life goes on where people enjoy certain things and I can see the the reasons why it's just that's not for me. Which makes perfect sense. Um, you know, it's like you're you're getting stabbed thousands of times and having ink <laughs> put under your skin that's going to be well, there forever. It's not the, it's not the pain that. that's like that is avoiding it, you know. Uh yeah, but yeah, it's it's the it's the fact of I uh, um yeah, having something that is permanent like that I it just I don't feel like I need that form of expression personally, and I can understand that for many people they want that to be linked with them and like a companion essentially yeah. in that way. Um, it's just not something I I personally need. Maybe at the moment, maybe down the road I, I do. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, no, it's um, it's definitely I, I definitely get that that um, that makes perfect sense. So okay, so here we are. You have you have the uh, um I can't remember his name that took you under his wing Jeff Tobin uh, yeah Jeff Tobin uh, you guys connected on lots of things mm-hmm. uh and then what was your major 
I guess, break where you started becoming more, you know, involved in the podcast, doing mm-hmm. more things, becoming more of this major face of the uh, fantasy baseball segment of CBS. That was really when we made that transition from doing the player news to just doing analysis. And mm-hmm. once I got moved into just the analysis role, um, you know, that was when I started writing uh, about baseball more, started writing about football more. Continue, I, we actually ramped up our ba- basketball uh, content at that time as well. We had a basketball podcast for a couple of years. Um, and so that was really when I you know, was kind of given the opportunity to grow as an analyst and um, you know, touch every different sport. Um, we eventually dropped basketball. And um, but yeah, that was probably about two or three years where I was doing that. Uh, full time before I was moved into um, the role as the editor and manager of the fantasy department, which um, that was around 2016, I want to say maybe 17. And, you know, that was another one where uh, Jeff Tobin got moved out of his role as the fantasy manager and into a, a larger editorial manager role. And so, you know, that was another place where he, you know, tapped me and said, I think you've got, you know, the, the right mix of skills to do this. And honestly, I was terrified. (laughs) Um, Of course. You know, at that point I was 27 or 28 and um, I'm still the youngest person in our department, except for Frank Stamfel, who hosts the podcast uh, fantasy baseball today now. Um, And so it was like just super intimidating to be, five to 15 years younger than everyone who I was managing. And hmm. I hadn't done that really since college, which was a very different environment. And uh, I was a little terrified. I, I he, he, he offered it to me and I, it was like 11 o'clock and I was like, I'm going to leave and go talk to my wife. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and eventually I accepted it. And I think I was pretty good in the role. It was really fulfilling. Um, and you know very stressful obviously um you know when you're one managing people is just always a a challenge um you know i'm lucky enough that i I work with really good people but it's still like you know we're we're all writers we're all on video we're all doing podcasts there's there's you know certainly for myself ego and insecurity involved in all of that you want to make the most of your opportunities and make sure you're not screwing up and all that. And so, um, you know, it was really, really fulfilling to have that opportunity. Um, I learned a lot. I think it made me a better writer. I think it made me a better analyst. I think it made me a better, uh, hopefully person, (laughs) I think. Um, and that is, you know, I moved out of that role at the beginning of this year back into a full-time analyst role. Um, so that's where I'm at now. But yeah, that was, um, you know, kind of the progression and where I was given the opportunity to, you know, have more of a voice and have more of a presence. And sure. Yeah, what was the what was the day to day like for that? I think it's uh, as I, mean, I certainly. Yeah, because uh, for me, um, I, I mean, I, I don't talk too much about it. Obviously, a lot, everyone sees the content side I put yeah. out or the articles and podcasts, all that kind of stuff. But the management side, I mean, that's pretty much what I've been doing since the beginning and the content scheduling and uh, working with everybody, delegating properly, all of that stuff is, that takes a ton of time and actually in many ways, sometimes more 
time than the actual thing that you, you see actually on the site. And I'm kind of curious, like how it was for you and, you know, what kind, when are you doing content scheduling? Are you the one that uh, has to come up with these ideas or how are you distributing them? Yeah. What is that day to day like? Um, you know, I was, I was still writing a lot when I was in that role just because I, I'm restless and I, I always need to be doing something and I probably, my wife would definitely tell you that I did too much, uh, in that role as a (laughs) result. But, um, that's just kind of the, the person I am. I couldn't like, I couldn't not be doing as much as I could, but you know, the day to day, you know, ultimately it, it, what it comes down to is it's just, it's all on you. You know, when you, you know, if we don't have stuff coming out on a specific day, that's because you didn't plan something, you know, things can go wrong or people get sick, but you know, generally speaking, like you have to be on top of that. And so, you know, it was a lot of, um, you know, trying to come up with both short and long-term plans and goals, um, making sure that we had a, you know, one thing that's nice is when you're in the fantasy season, either football or baseball, you've got a pretty set schedule of what you're going to come out with, especially football. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got, you know, our, our handful of real tentpole items in football that kind of everything revolves around. Um, sure. And so there's really, what, three months out of the year, you know, January to, to March where there's not games happening. Um, but you're, you know, a lot of it is, yeah, coming up with ideas, talking to your writers and making sure that, you know, they're being proactive about coming up with ideas and keeping on top of what they are, you know, supposed to be working on. And, um, you know, we are a multimedia outfit. You know, it's not just uh, writing. It's five football podcasts a week, five baseball podcasts a week. During football season, you're talking about more like seven or eight podcasts every week. Um, along with video shows during football season, we've got an hour long, uh, noon show that we've been doing for over a decade. Now we do a Sunday show. Um, and so managing everyone's time and managing the expectations from, you know, above of always doing more, you know, there's never going to be a year where we're like, Hey, you know, all that stuff you did last year, let's take 10% of it off. You know, that's never going to happen because it's always about growth. And, um, and so finding ways to, to make that all work and to keep everyone happy, um, you know, it was a lot of work um, and also editing and publishing stories was part right, of yeah. my day to day. Yeah, still got to do that stuff. Yeah, I, I had an assistant editor, so that helped. Um, you know, he handled a lot of the like publishing and editing, but you know, there's keeping up, making sure that the website is updated. So all your covers are correct, making sure that, you know, you're, you're promoting the best content, doing newsletters was part of my job. Um, and then I was still writing and doing podcasts. So, um, you know, there was a lot to it. It was, you know, definitely because I'm restless and because I, I, you know, tend to go up, you know, my brain's going a thousand miles per hour. I think it, it worked out okay, but um, you know there were definitely point, points where I felt a little burnt out. Oh man, oh <laughs> I understand the whole burnt down thing. Um, I've actually I've made it a, a, a purpose now for me that this November 
I'm taking two weeks, and that's just I haven't yeah. done that in a very long time. Uh, where I just take two weeks off or a vacation or something. Yeah. I, ooh, I've taken maybe four days, maybe, and that was even still doing things along it. I, yeah. I'm I'm setting a plan saying, look, two weeks, I need to remove myself. Yeah. Because burnout is so unbelievably real. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's hard. It's it's so hard to to deal with. Um, and uh, it, it's oh, you got yeah, you have to definitely have a mental check in, um, for that stuff. But I mean. I remember, I remember June of 2016, 17, talking to a lot of people and I uh, just saying, yeah, we're all burnt out in baseball in June. And there's another, yeah. <laughs> there's another three months to go through from there, you know? Uh, so it's, it's a long season you got to pre- prepare for and you have to have those, those moments. But yeah, you got through it though, Chris, you're not, you're not a manager anymore. You're, uh, no, you're I, just, you're writing now. Yeah. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, I think I'm, pretty good at this i think i was pretty good at the managing thing but you know there there was a point when i was managing where i was like i'm actually feeling really good about what i'm doing as a writer um and i actually reached out to my boss and was like hey what would you think if like down the road i transitioned back into more of a a writing and and you know kind of analyst role and he was actually like we've actually been talking about that for you um and so, you know, when I moved out of the analyst ro- or back into the analyst, analyst role, you know, I, I was basically like, I'm the second baseball analyst and probably like the fourth football analyst, um, which, you know, it's hard to do both, but it's nice that I'm not necessarily the, the main guy for either. Um, right. And then I do the fantasy football today newsletter, which is, uh, during season, I was doing it seven times a week, pretty much every day. Um, oh man! Wow. And I was not making it easy on myself because I was writing about three thousand words with every newsletter, going Unreal. over like every bit of news from every day of practice, and then after the games, writing a write up of every game and like the biggest you know winner and loser and all that stuff. And um, that that was a lot of pressure and it was a lot of work and it still is. I'm still doing that. That's kind of that's probably like my my main focus overall like once it starts um but you know it it is also nice to be able to take ownership of something like that you know in a a big organization like cbs sports where we've got you know some really high profile analysts who you know have their kind of they've been doing this for longer than i have they've got you know their their pieces that people are looking forward to every week um you know, to have my own thing that stands out and has my name in, in your e- email inbox is uh, yeah. is a, a nice way to, to kind of create my own lane. And, um, you know, we, we do the same thing for fantasy baseball every morning. There's like a uh, kind of like a kind of like I think the idea is it's basically like our podcast rundown, like everything that we talk about on the podcast, which is everything that you need to know from the previous day, plus like whatever we wrote. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, it's uh, it's been, it, it's a nice uh, it's a nice new path for me. Sure, and uh, and so we're talking about that path a bit. Uh, so here you are, you're in this really nice situation, of course. What is the end game for you? Is it this? Is it uh, continue on CBS and just like this is I really enjoy this. I just want to keep doing that. Are there other projects? I mean, given your uh, your hands in all these different pots of, of culture mm-hmm. and entertainment and the arts and all, 
Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to hear if there's a, something you want to be doing, some project that's on your mind. Uh, but but when you when you think about your entire career path, where do you want it to go? What is the yeah? What is the proper end game for you? It's hard for me to to. I don't know. I don't. I I don't even really think about it all that much, just because it's it hasn't really gone how I expected it already. You know, like sure. I said, I was about to become a teacher before, um, you know, before kind of falling into or back into journalism, I guess. And, um, you know, I definitely didn't think I would be writing about fantasy sports, uh, even though, you know, I've always played it and I'm, I'm, I've always been into it. It was not like, right, right. I wasn't, you know, writing a weekly, uh, you know, pop music column and football uh, post-game columns every week during college thinking like, well, I'm going to write about fantasy baseball for a career. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm really lucky to have had this opportunity. And, um, you know, if it, if it keeps working like this and I keep finding success moving forward, I'm, I'm happy to stick with it um, because I do have a lot of flexibility and a lot of freedom in, in sure. my role. Um, is it exactly as you, as you're doing it now or is it in a different medium or, way i would always want to write um you know i think that's that's something that like i think podcasting i I would feel i think most people probably view this people who do this you know work podcasting is probably the most fun thing we do Um, oh it's the best oh you're just hanging out with your buds i just started this new one this year it's great I yeah, enjoyed I mean, it. I just get to talk to you for a good hour and change. This is amazing. Yeah, it, it, it barely feels like work. <laughs> right. You know, like it's just even, hanging out. Like the, the baseball podcast, we do it at midnight, which is, you know, late because I, I do work during the day as well. Um, mm-hmm. The other two guys work at night, so it fits in their schedule a little bit more. And I could probably take an extra day off a week, but I don't want to. It's a good time. It's fun. It's so, so that's interesting. So you guys record that podcast. It's it's a video one as well. I think it's about 45 yeah. minutes or so, right? Yeah, about an hour. About an hour. So you did that from 12 to 1 every night. Pretty much, yeah. We were supposed yeah. to, it was supposed to be about 11 to 12 every night, and mm-hmm. it's gotten well, it's pushed be- back about five minutes every day. Well, it's because of the, the, the West Coast games. You yeah. have to. Yeah. And it, it's, man, this drives me nuts so much. It's the balance because... You know, I have to write this roundup and I'm doing it from 11 to 1 and I'm waiting at the end for these games to end so I can finish. I've already written all the East Coast mm-hmm. stuff, but I'm just waiting. How long is Bueller going to go out there for? Does he get the win? Does he not? And I, it's, it's maddening because I have to wake up then and do my stream at 8.30 a.m. <laughs> to get to do the morning podcast, right? Yeah. And it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's rough, but I'm, it's very, I mean, I love it. I, I very much enjoy this. I just it's work, it, right? But it, it's I guess what's annoying about it is that I don't have a solution. I think that's the real problem. Yeah. It's like if people Move say, to "Oh, California. just go to the west," right? Yeah. But then that's I have it. to wake up at four forty-five <laughs> to do the five thirty. Yeah. It doesn't change that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I. Maybe one day I'll figure out the exact solution for this. But you move to I don't know. Maybe you move to London. Maybe that's like the five hour difference. Maybe you're you're getting up to to write your, your nightly roundup at seven a.m. The only the only um, solution I've come up with is that I don't do the morning podcast. <laughs> yeah, and I do the, still do the stream, but it's later on. You still uh, want to do it, you know? But yeah, but I, I enjoy it. Like I love yeah. the podcast is great. I get my opportunity to just like say whatever I want about things. You know? Yeah, I mean that was like as as a manager, it was always like. 
you know, we're being asked to do more video every year. We started doing Twitch streams oh, yeah. this year. We're streaming on YouTube. Oh, you guys are? Yeah. You're doing yeah, Twitch? We do like oh, yeah, YouTube, Twitch. Um, and so like during football season, it was like Tuesday evenings, Thursday evenings, Sunday mornings. We were adding Twitch streams in addition to what we were already doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're stretched pretty thin. And it was like, oh, man, we can't do anything more. And I talked to all my employees and they're like, yeah, man, we, it's really hard to fit all this in. And I was like, well, you know, maybe everyone does three days a week on the podcast instead of four. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to do. And it's like, I get that. I understand because the podcast is the the most fun thing we do. Um, And so, you know, that's, that's why I still do the four, four days a week for the baseball podcast, even though it's not necessarily working with my schedule as well. Um, Just because it's, it's it's fun. You're hanging out with like that. That's I've always thought like, you know, obviously people go to podcasts for different things and some people want, you know, uh, strictly information driven or some people, you know, obviously there's a lot of people who are listening to podcasts that are like narratives, you know, not within baseball, but just like the murder mystery podcasts and all that stuff. Um, but you know, I, I've always thought like for this kind of podcast for, you know, what you're doing here, but also what we're doing with, you know, fantasy baseball today or what you guys are doing with your, your other, like even strictly baseball podcasts. Like Mm -hmm. you want to give people information. You want to make sure that like, I kind of look at it as if all you do is listen to this or read this thing, you should be all set. You should be fine. Um, but you also like, you're asking people to spend five, six hours a week with you. Oh man, that means no, I, you, I mean we yeah, we're we're asking everybody all day. Yeah, so <laughs> like, like you have to put out right. You've got to uh <laughs> you've got to make it a good time. Like I've always yeah. like priority number 1 even you know, we there's all these there's these discussions every like 4 days on on fantasy Twitter like how important is it for your for you to listen to an analyst who like has a track record of winning in high stakes leagues oh, and all this, this stuff and the, like yeah, this is a long conversation but I love it. There's value in all that. I, yes. I think there's like, obviously, I think the, the ability to win a high stakes league with, with a bunch of really high level competitors is really important. But as someone who's done hiring in this industry and as someone who, you know, I'm 11 years, I think. Yeah, I think I'm coming up on 11 years uh, working for CBS Sports. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Or no, 10 years. Oh, not, not congratulations now. I only give that out in 11 years. I can't remember. I think it's <laughs> 11 years. But yeah, it's, um, you know, obviously giving good information, giving actionable advice, being accurate, all of that's really important. But, you know, if I'm looking to hire someone who's going to be on a podcast, who's going to be on video, I'm also like priority number one, I think, is like not necessarily like empty entertainment value, but... No, but it's- the ability to be all, engaging is as yeah, important as anything else. I think this is all entertainment. Every yeah. if, if, yes, even like being you know fantasy baseball itself is entertainment. Baseball is yeah. entertainment. We just say it's sports as if it's separate, but it's not. It's entertainment, uh, and it's uh, it's so important to have that range, right? Um, yeah. Obviously, you don't want to be listening to someone that is it's irritating to listen to someone that you disagree with so much every time. Yeah. Like someone on a podcast saying that the last Jedi is the third best Star Wars <laughs> film. 
But uh, <laughs> so sorry. I uh, it's just not Chris. It's just not. <laughs> no. Um. That, but right, you want someone that you feel that you actually enjoy listening to yeah. and the qualities of that from a podcast are many things it, it does start with the audio i don't care how right you are if it's grating to my ears oh yeah i don't care <laughs> i will not sit through it it needs to you need to embellish the energy mm-hmm. uh, because you embellish it everything in audio gets truncated down gets brought down more yeah so you have to get it back up to that level by you know infusing it with energy and changing your cadences and going up and then falling down, right? You got to do all of that stuff. Uh, that is like number one. It doesn't matter what you're saying. Just start with that. And then, yeah, the information, as long as it comes from a sound place, um, yeah. I, I say this to everybody, we're not in the business of being right. We're in the business of good discussion. Yeah. This is everything. You know, it's it's so hard. It's so hard to be correct in this because it's a human thing. It's not a science. It's a human yeah. thing. And that is, you're just never going to be right. You're just never going to be completely right. You can be close to the most accurate or whatever, but you know, as long as you have a process that makes sense and you 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 give good uh, explanations for everything, don't get too bogged down in it because no one wants to listen to every single little decimal of a stat 20 times you yeah. know just tell them what they should think in like one stat that like you can use as a pillar that's fine stats are the walls of the house of your point yeah they like not the furniture they are just supporting it yeah like i i i don't care if someone who listens to me disagrees with me and i, I oh, don't yeah, really care yeah. if they if they think i'm dumb uh <laughs> which plenty of people do um, and I don't I, know why that's stupid. Sometimes it's annoying when people are like, Oh, you got this thing wrong because like, well, you know, what, <laughs> one, that's like, what yes, I, I'm wrong about yeah. thousands of things every oh, right, day, exactly. every year, because I'm literally doing 400 hours of, of <laughs> audio, like con- extemporaneous speaking. I'm going to be wrong right. about a lot of things. Um, but you, you, you know, what matters ultimately is there, there's so much focus. And this is another one of the tips that I wrote for myself on that little post-it note was like, not everything has to be player focused in fantasy sports. Mm. There's so much like, I like X player over Y player. I've been struggling with this with my pitching rankings lately. And I've been talking a lot about like, I don't know who you should talk to about pitcher rankings. I don't know anybody that has, <laughs> is there any anyone who spends a lot of time that? about that? What, 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 uh, what are you struggling about? For me, it's like I'm struggling with. I should say, I think there's about 15 pitchers who I feel really confident are really, really good. Okay, and then there's like the guys I felt really, really confident are really, really good coming into the season who have not been good, like right. Luis Castillo being the prime example. Oh, yeah. I haven't really yeah. moved him down that much. He's like 17th sure. for me. Okay, um, which I I think the other two guys on our podcast have him outside of their top 30 at this point, which right. I think is totally reasonable. He's been awful. Yeah. Um, but one thing I've been talking about a lot lately is there's like, I've started referring to it as the blob at starting pitcher. And it's basically oh. for me from like 18 to 43 ish okay. in my rankings. Mm-hmm. I don't care what order they're in really. Right. Okay. So, so first of all, I mean, Sporer is going to say, oh, that's the glob. Thank you very much. With oh, okay. G. Yeah. Maybe I did steal right. that. As from him, been- yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've all kind of had this like massive thing of grouping. 
Yeah. I uh, very quickly because I know this is not a fantasy baseball podcast, but I I, I think this is still about methodology and how you approach yeah. things like this, which is very important. Um, there's a. I agree with you on this. It's kind of like at the beginning of the season, I was saying, all I care about is getting four of my top 40 or so. Yeah. It's not about the ones that it is. It's not about getting the, like three of the 22 or 23 or so. If I get them as the 30s, which were like Musgrove and yeah. uh, I don't know, Molly, all that kind of stuff too. I'm like, cool, that should be fine. Um, there, uh, So I, I, I struggled with exactly what you're talking about. Like, where do you put Luis Castillo? Like I've done, you know, for eight years it's been like, or seven years it's just been. What do I do? How do I? How yeah. am I supposed to structure this? The the thing that I've done is, um, I like I've done both methods of like I'm not going to move him, yeah, or I'm going to slowly decrease him, and I think the dissension is better because people, um, essentially, essentially these rankings are helpful of an indication of, well, you just don't you want to avoid giant jumps as much as you can, yeah. That's that's the real lesson that I've learned with this. You don't want one week for them to be at 17, the next week for them to be at 55 yeah, or something like that. When you finally said, all right, fine, I'm acknowledging this, yeah. then you're like, uh-oh, well, I can't put him then at 24, so I have to put him at 60 or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And that's that's the risk. And for me, it's it's helpful just to like with every kind of thing that is hinting that this isn't turning around, you keep weighing him down. Yeah. Uh, and acknowledging as it goes, like, okay, this can jump up again, but I recognize that people are going to feel more confident in Trevor Rogers right now because he has just done yeah. it for so many starts. And I don't, it's, I guess, put someone in their shoes of if you have Luis Castillo, are you trading him for Trevor Rogers right now? Absolutely. I don't think I would, but no, I know come I'm in the on, I know I'm in the minority. Well, for me, like Trevor Rogers specifically, because I think he's probably like, he might throw. 70% as many innings as Luis Castillo the rest of the season. Okay, John Means. That's I think that's a more difficult one. I would I always I also struggle with like the position for position <laughs> trades because sure. at some point when players are similar, you're yep. just leaving yourself up to chance. Right. Um uh, Yeah, I know. I know. I, I don't know if I, I could do it this. either way. I don't know yeah. if I had means if I would give him up for Castillo. I don't know if I had Castillo if I would give him up for means. And, you know, part of it is like to just be, a, you know, a, a little too, um, you know, blunt about it is like history didn't start eight starts ago. Well, right. You know? Yeah. yeah sure. Like that's the thing I'm really struggling with with Castillo is like if his velocity was down three miles per hour. Right. Or if his like change up spin axis was way different or like there's nothing specifically tangible with him right now um that makes me say like he should be this bad it's just like he's just pitching like crap <laughs> yes yeah, command is off his mechanics are a little yeah, bit wonky and he yeah. just like doesn't look right but that's the kind of thing that like he could just look great tonight yeah and then be himself forever and right. then i would so, feel like an idiot for trading so the thing him. sure but I, uh, but the thing is, you can acknowledge that there is a risk of you don't know that. Yes. Right. And that's different yeah. than someone that's typically inside the top fifteen or twenty or whatever. Sure. And that inherent, you know, I, I don't know, I want to say like parasite that's on him or something mm-hmm. like that is is a negative that has to be that is everyone is is like feels and yeah. has to be in some way quantified. How are you yeah. going to quantify it? I don't know. 
It's like I have been like forty or something now. I'm like, yeah, ah, I don't I, know, man. I know <laughs> I hope it changes. <laughs> the thing that I, that that I've been thinking a lot about is just like I don't like ordinal rankings in general, and I, I don't mm. know anybody who really does. Like, but it's really hard to like. Okay, Garrett Cole's number one. Shane Bieber's yeah. number two. Jacob Degrom's number three. Max Scherzer's four for me, and that's basically okay. been that's that fine. four in some order since the start of since the preseason. Sure. Um, How do you dare now put Degrom at one? I don't. I'm just gonna keep going. But well, I had Degrom number yeah. one going injury. in injury. Yeah, yeah, just the injury. That's the only I thing. I think he's them. the best I pitcher. In them. I remove yeah. them from injury because that's so context dependent yeah. about where you are in your team. So I just say you're out of the list if you are injured. Yeah. That makes sense. It's um, like if he was if he was 100 percent healthy, he'd be number one right. with a bullet uh, for yeah. me. But like the gap between Cole or Let's talk preseason. The gap between yeah. DeGrom and Cole for me. It existed, but it wasn't huge. The gap between sure. Cole and Bieber. It existed, but it wasn't huge. But the gap right. between DeGrom and Bieber was pretty big. Sure. And then the gap between Bieber and Scherzer was much bigger right. even than that. And so it's like, well, I have them one, two, three, four, but that doesn't actually tell you. Absolutely not. Yeah. And and one of the things I've been thinking a lot with the the blob or the glob, whatever whichever term, uh, whoever came up with it first, I'm not a historian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, is like, okay, I have to put Luis Castillo in one spot, right? But what that what I'm really the way I really look at him is like he could be the seventh best pitcher in fantasy the rest of the season, or he could be 47. And there's mm-hmm. like, it, the it's like a outcomes. Yeah. And it's I think about it kind of the analogy I make a lot is like, um, electron clouds, you know, you have, uh, the, the standard model that most people think of when they think of atoms is just like a thing in the middle and then things orbiting around it like planets. It's mm-hmm. not actually how it works. There's well, right. like a fuzzy cloud around it. And there's like, electrons are never in one specific place there. They could be in any part of the cloud at any different point. And that's the way I actually feel about like ranking pitchers is like there's, you know, Luis Castillo's ranking might overlap with everyone through 30. Yeah. Uh, but then there might be someone in the, in like Jose Barrios who I have 27, just as an example, I don't like he, he could finish as a top 10 starting pitcher, but it seems unlikely. Like he seems like he has a very a relatively narrow range of possible outcomes. Sure. Um, and the the ordinal rankings don't really show that, but neither do tiers. A lot of people will just say, "Well, just do tiers," and that doesn't tiers. That are doesn't get it because there's area. where is the where does the tier start? Where does it end? And yeah, it just doesn't do it. I know, but it does it does help a little bit. What I, I certainly yes. do certain groupings like um like in mine. I think this week I. I have I have essentially a tier of okay they can all be aces, but yeah. they I don't know yet so that's like Charlie Morton and and Corey Kluber and yep. and Tyone and Castillo's in that one and Corbin actually is at the top of it because I think now he is again but I don't know if this is gonna stick. It's one start week. you know, and as you yeah. guys actually hear this you'll know <laughs> Corbin please last night please still be throwing ninety two <laughs> ninety three with double digit whiffs on your slider oh my yeah. god. Uh, but right, it's it's there's no easy way, and I know you're struggling with it. And at the end of the day, you know, it's as long as you express the, um, you know, what uh, I, I think the most important thing that we are we can do is really understand the skill set and abilities 
of each player so that you can grasp what those possible outcomes are for yourself. And yeah. then understand that, hey, there might be some leagues that I do want to take a chance on Kenta Maeda. And other, others, I'm like, you know what? No, I want to ride how Kyle Gibson is pitching right now. Yeah. And that's that's going to be different for other people. So we can't we can't make a ranking that is just clearly this is it for everybody. Yeah. It's never going to be the thing. That's why I get like you get the the, the Twitter comment of like, how could you possibly have <laughs> this player over this player? And it's like, well, like, I, who was it? Like Dylan Bundy. I had Dylan Bundy ahead of John Means. And I got how a comment. Like, how that? could you possibly <laughs> have Dylan Bundy over John Means? And it's like, well. As like John Means has been amazing this season. Dylan Bundy's first seven starts last season were also pretty amazing. And it's it's like I don't feel that strongly about it either way. Like I if right. you want me to move John Means ahead of Dylan Bundy, sure, I'll do that. I don't I don't I don't think it's clear cut and uh there's there's a lot more nuance that goes into a lot of these things oh. than um oh my. than yes. I think the way they're often talked about, I think is Oh my is, god, I can't I can't agree more. I mean, yeah, especially so. in the especially in the off season. Um yeah. I think I mean I certainly fall into this too. Uh, at times I try as much as I can to remove myself, but projections I think are a uh, I, I hate to like speak negatively of them, but I think they do in some ways harm uh like just in how we we see that number and then we can't yep. remove ourselves from it. You know, yep. we, we see that he's projected to be a 320. This guy's going to be over here at 370. There's no way. Like, why would I ever yep. you know, consider this guy better at that? And then there's just, wait, well, hold on a second. There's so many things that could happen with this. This is just some summation of years. I mean, I think what's going to go crazy is you're going to look at, like, Jameson Tyone's projections now. And we're going to ignore the fact that he was throwing sinkers before and now yeah. he's four seamers and... The, it, it, the, even inside the season, I'm talking about Robbie Ray now adjusting and throwing four yeah. seamers over the middle of the plate. Essentially, uh, you know, just doing different things. That he's a very different pitcher now, and that nuance can be very much lost when it happens for a couple of weeks in August. Then they get hurt, yeah. you know, and then we don't see it. The Joe Musgrove, yeah, or um, maybe even like John Means last year. There was yeah. this. Oh yeah, you are doing different things. You. Did not get the pitch count limits and everything. Didn't get to rhythm mm-hmm. until the very end. Um, I remember getting excited about Nate Carnes for four starts before he <laughs> pretty much ended his career. And, and I've still held on to the fact that he was throwing his knuckle curve about 40% of the time and had four great starts. And I'm like, you were so close. Yep. You know, I mean, it's stuff like that. And uh, at, at the end of the day, like I go, I do the roundup. I, I cover every single start these guys do. And yet it comes to be December, January, and I'm struggling well i'm i have to put in all this effort to pull myself away from the discussions that are rooted in that whatever that computer put out in a way you know um and it's like well no that's not it's it's a fight it's a battle and it's never easy um yeah it's, it's, it's almost like they're human i don't <laughs> yeah that, that's one thing that i wish like baseball prospectus you know, the bat or the axe is what theirs is i mean that's amazing what Derek carty does is so oh, good yeah. though it's yeah, like, oh yeah, the match for everything yeah. I'm saying negative uh, projections, they are amazing. <laughs> well, so, you know, it's a battle. The, it's like a well, it's not a battle. It's just a it's a balance is really what I should be yeah, saying. Yeah, and there's like on the on the population level, projections will probably be more accurate on most right. players than any given ranker. But yep, and this is something I struggle with is you miss outliers. 
like my my default is always going to be track record and sample size matters you know a lot i need really really convincing evidence to change my priors um right and that causes me to miss out on stuff that causes me to miss out on some breakouts that causes me um i'm not sure who a good example would be but like I was pretty skeptical of Zach Plezak this season. You know, I had him in like the 45 range at starting pitcher and he's been I mean, around he that looking, range. Yeah. He was, he had two starts against the white Sox that were out. Well, he, yeah, he's looked bad at times. He's looked really good yeah. at times. And like now he's reached the point where his inning total this season, I think is almost exactly what it was last yeah. season. Yeah. Because, um, the, because Cleveland would just let everyone go. It's amazing. Yeah, he made eight starts last season against five different teams. And so, like, my prior was, well, I think there's a chance this is real, but I'm not going to rank him as a top 20 starting pitcher. Oh, yeah. Like, like he was being being drafted top 25 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And that causes me to miss sometimes. And, you know, ultimately, you know, to bring it back to the conversation about, like, being an analysis analyst and what you you should strive to be and what, like, I was looking for when I was looking to hire and stuff like that is, like, a process that you trust and believe in and that you are as consistent with as possible, I think is the, is the best you can ask for, you know, whether your process is to take the, you know, dive deep into the small samples and look for, you know, those potential outliers and and pride yourself on your ability to identify the outliers at a higher rate than average, or, you know, whether your process is, I trust my projection system, and I'm going to stick with that. Mm-hmm. Whatever your process is, that's what I'm looking for as a listener. That's what I'm looking for as a, as a, you know, uh, when I was hiring is, you know, obviously, like we said, engaging personality, able to make all their arguments cogently and in, in, in an entertaining way, but also right or wrong, winning leagues, not winning leagues, all that stuff is, do you have a solid foundation for the things that yeah. you're saying? Yeah, as long as as long as you're not just saying terrible things that is detrimental constantly. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter. I mean, it, I mean, sure, there are certainly. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speak negatively of. Uh, there are there are a lot of podcasts that they say really good information. They help a lot with like making those decisions, and that mm-hmm. has intrinsic value. Um, at the end of the day, uh, it's more. It's kind of like how we say you can't win your draft, but you can lose it. Sure. Um, it's like that for podcasts too. You can lose the podcast, but you know, you can't, you know, you can't necessarily win it just from that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just focus on, I don't know, listen to yourself. Like, is this entertaining? Is this some, if, do I feel attached to that listener or that, 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 um, yeah, the podcaster is this, I, is it fun? Is it grading? Is it not really lean into it? And in the end of the day, just like everything in life, we're all selling ourselves and you got to sell something that is genuine and authentic. And, and that's why I try relatable. to like put, you know, all my interests out there and like just, yeah, I love it. You no, know, I probably put too much of myself out there. I definitely <laughs> tweet too much. Every time I meet someone in real life, who's like, oh, I follow you on Twitter. I'm like, oh God. Yeah. Right. That's right. These are real people who see what I put out there. Is That's such a weird thing, isn't it's, it? Yeah. It's, I always just apologize. I'm sorry. Yep. Uh, yep. That sounds about right. <laughs> but you know, and, and one of you know, like uh, because I cover football as well, 
I know there are there are things in baseball that I'm I'm not as up to date with as Scott is Scott White. Um, yeah. Like I, he's just he knows so much, and so I know that like I can't necessarily out information him. I don't necessarily remember every detail of every player's like July starts right from last season. But what I do try to do is, you know, I bring good information. I've got my process and I, I think I'm, I'm a reasonably intelligent person and all that stuff. And I work hard Absolutely and I do my are. research, and, and but you dare bring the humility here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I do try to do is like make sure that we're having fun on the podcast. And right. so if that's, you know, Every Tuesday, we have people send in their team names, and they're always really fun puns. And I love to, I love to do that. And then I'll sit there and try to come up with my own that are really bad. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. I'm I'm all like, for that. Like one I came up with last night is because you're mean. Your mean is on my list. Love that one. Really that's bad. Great. And by the way, do uh, you have a whole um? Do you have a an article about music that's called Towards Records? <laughs> no, no, that would be a good one. My my. My music column in, in college was called Pop and Circumstance, which I thought was a pretty clever name. I'm sure I didn't good. come up with it, but that's pretty good. That I like good. that. Yeah. Um, I mean, how is, okay. Maybe at least like you have your records of something on the podcast. It's just, it's got to be Towers Records. How, how does yeah. that not exist yet, Chris? I could do that. Yeah. This is the only reason why I wanted to bring you on is just to give you that pun. <laughs> good. To make sure you do that. I appreciate that. I'll do that. <laughs> maybe I just need a sign above my record collection. There it is. It's just, just Tower records. records. Yeah, there it is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I try to like, you know, make sure we're having fun and keep things light and, you know, crack jokes. And sometimes they're stupid jokes and sometimes uh, people find it annoying. But like, you know, y- you you also have to find what you're what you can be good at. Yeah, and absolutely. You know, I know like when I do the football podcast, if someone asks me, hey, what do you think of the the Rams offensive line this year? I'm like. I have no idea too much going on to have a specific (laughs) idea of the Rams offensive line and what their moves meant. And like, I can identify like, okay, they added a good player and they should be better. And they ranked here last year. And I can like do that research, but like, I don't have a strong opinion about a lot of that stuff. He's really good on the wide sweeps, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Like he's specifically good against the the bull rush, but he struggles, you know, like I, 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 not a chance. There's a level of, uh, you know, granularity that I, I yeah. because I cover multiple sports, I don't necessarily, I can't achieve that level of granularity and, all the time. And here's the thing, Towers. I only do starting pitching. I get questions about like, hey, what hitter or this thing? And I I know of Dylan Carlson and stuff. Yeah. I can say something, but I'm like, nope, not, I'm not your guy. Like, go talk yeah. to John Metzelar or, or uh, you know, Dave Chairman about catchers or whatever. He ranked yeah. number one in fantasy pros last year. That wasn't me. That was Dave Chairman's yeah. rankings. Like, just go listen to him. Um, relievers, not Rick Graham, not even just only starting pitchers, not even relievers, just <laughs> only starting pitchers. Uh, and I, I will say that is, yeah, find the thing that you are good at and that you really like that you can give it that special attention. Yeah. Even if that isn't actually something that's information based. But if you're just really good at asking the right questions and... Yeah and getting uh getting fun answers out of other people that is the thing that you're good at it doesn't yeah. you don't have to be the one that is prophetic and a nostradamus or whatever it, there's there's a role for everybody with this you got to find your specific thing i really like that um i don't have much time left with you but sure. i have one last question i uh, do you have a mantra 
that you adhere to? Uh, I guess there, I don't know if you read fire Joe Morgan back in the day. Oh, of course. Uh, there's specifically one column that I remember. I think it was like during the Jimmy Rollins, David Wright MVP debate, which David Wright absolutely should have won that. It's one of the most egregious MVP picks in, in the last 15 years of baseball or might be even longer than, than that ago at this point. I'm not sure. Um, but John Heyman wrote a column making fun of like the advanced stats and, and he did, he did something like, Oh, the Vorpies will tell you that, uh, you know, David Wright is better. Uh, and I remember fire Joe Morgan, like one of the, one of the writers did said something like, ah, yes, the Vorpies, that's what we call ourselves. And you know, we have a, we have meetings and there's the Vorpy code and the Vorpy (laughs) code was, be reasonable and be reasonably objective, please. And, oh, that's and great. That I think is a a fairly good mantra for a lot of things in life, but especially thinking about sports. You know, we can. It's really easy to get caught up in the emotions of sports, and you know, I I love sports that way. Like I love those moments in sports where you just like you can't say anything. Um, but as a as a writer, and really as just a this is my friends hate watching sports with me because like, well, I will watch a heat game. You know, my friends from Miami and they'll be like freaking out because it's seven minutes into the first quarter and they're losing 20 to 11. And I'll be like, this is a three possession game guys. Yeah, Calm right, down. Yeah. Like it's not that it's, it's like, I know it's the NBA finals and you don't want your team to go down 2011, but like, it's going to be fine guys. They're they'll, right. they'll, they'll probably pull this out. And my friends get furious with me they hate why they hate that part of watching sports with me um because they just want to be you know they want to yeah, be emotionally fans. blind they want yeah, to just like go that's... and it's uh i remember watching a game um at a bar it was like a yankee game uh and seeing on the strike zone box a pitch thrown inside that was clearly the circle is outside of the box mm-hmm. and the guy yelling come on blue that was a strike i'm like do you not I like I'm rooting for the Yankees here too. Okay, I wanted to be happy in life just like you, but that like, why are you doing this? You don't need to do this, you know. And that I think that's great. What was it again? It was uh, be reasonable and be reasonable, be reasonable and be reasonably objective, please. That's wonderful. Um, I will get that shirt. Uh, but I but Chris, thank you so much for being a part of us. And really briefly, can you tell everybody where you are, where they can find you, and all that fun stuff? Uh, Brooklyn, Williamsburg. <laughs> um, hang around a lot around yes. Karen Park. Um, we'll get a beer soon. Yeah, I wanted to do this beforehand because I didn't want to, uh, you know, I, I want it to be nice and fresh for this. Good, good. Let's, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll get a beer soon. Um, no, at C Tower CBS uh, on Twitter, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball, fantasy baseball today podcast. Um, if you like me at all and want me to continue being gainfully employed in this industry, uh, cbssports.com slash newsletter slash fantasy football today. Um, I would say that is the most concrete way you could uh, support this guy, Chris Towers. There you uh, go. So, so hit that subscribe button. Chris, because I like you, I'm going to actually endorse something that is football. Good. Um, so go, yeah, go subscribe <laughs> to uh, that newsletter with uh, CBS Sports. That's fantasy football today newsletter. 
uh, help out Chris Towers. But uh, but yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening. Chris, thanks for being here. Thanks. And uh, I will talk to you guys next week.